0: Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, comparisons are odious, but today I want to just take a little issue with that and say, it's actually not the act of comparing that stinks so much. It's what we actually compare. It's not the act of comparing, it's what we choose to compare. The phrase itself apparently comes out of the early 15th century, but Shakespeare popularized it, and then he modified it. In his play, Much To Do About Nothing, he said, comparisons are odorous instead of odious. That's a nice play on words. Comparisons are odious. Comparisons stink, in other words. But look, here's the thing. We all know that we compare different things all the time, and that it's a productive exercise, usually. When um, we want to buy something new, a new car, a computer in my case, a new guitar, something like that, then we go to an awful lot of trouble researching and comparing the different available options. We weigh one up against the other. That act of comparison helps us to make sound judgments and to be good stewards of our resources. Companies often compare their products and processes against competitive offerings. They benchmark against what other people are doing. They do that so they can improve their products, improve their services. You have a thing called best practice, and best practices often include benchmarking. And it's to assist practitioners to compare what they do against the best in the field. Now, surely, these comparisons are not odious at all. They are very productive. Now, you see, the problem comes when we try to compare who we are, and not just what we do against others. And this can be very odious indeed. If we compare ourselves against someone who we regard as inferior, we're probably setting ourselves up for some kind of a superiority complex or a condescending attitude towards that person or persons. And that's odious. If we compare ourselves to someone we regard as superior to ourselves, then we risk experiencing feelings of worthlessness or even anger or possibly even despair. How will I ever aspire to be like so-and-so? Well, it's also odious. But Paul wrote the following in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12. He wrote, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. <laughs> Again, that's quite a convoluted sentence. It takes some getting one's head around, but the bottom line is he's defending his ministry and he's saying I don't compare myself to these so called super apostles, they compare themselves to each other and they fools. No, comparisons you're saying would be very odious. Now, if we want to avoid these noxious attitudes, and they are noxious attitudes, I think we have to separate our awareness of who we are from a self-evaluation of what we do. You see, I am not what I can or cannot do. You are not what you can or can't do. We're far more than that. I'm a uniquely created person. I am who I am, and and, and so are you. You see, we can learn to do more, or we can learn to do less, or we can learn to do things differently. But who I am is far more fundamental than our patterns and our learnings and our failures. When I was still in pastoral ministry, those, uh, often folk who were leaving the church, they were being transferred to another town or a country or whatever, and they wanted to say something nice to me as the pastor at that time of the church. They would say something like, you know, we really appreciated your wonderful teachings. And this really didn't um, make me very happy. It used to irritate me a little, if I'm frank. You see, I don't regard myself as simply a knowledge base or a competent teacher. I don't see my worth and my value to people as being... What I can do or what I can't do, what I do well or what I do badly. So I've tried to make a habit of saying to people that I want to affirm. I've tried to say things like, I appreciate you or I value you. Instead of saying, I really appreciate what you did for me. I try and say, thank you for what you did for me. I really appreciate you. Then when I retired a few years ago, I had to recognize another aspect of this vital distinction that I've been talking about. You see, church leaders, I think probably more than any other category of leaders, tend to merge their sense of self-identity with the church they pastor. And when I retired, this identity conflation was no longer supportable. Actually, it's never supportable. It's an error that pastors, we, we've, we kind of fall into. And then comes this sort of um, appraisal when you say to yourself, well, who am I now? Um, how am I valued now? What, what, what's my reason for getting up in the morning? Now, this is all very silly in hindsight. But to anybody who's retired, it's real and they'll understand. But we have to realize that as Christians, our identity is that we are children of the living God. My identity has never been that I was a pastor, or a writer, or a theologian, or a blogger, or a musician, or whatever it is. That's not my identity. That's just a categorization of some stuff that I can do. But my identity is who I am in Christ Jesus. John states this very succinctly in 1 John 3 verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. There's the affirmation. That is what we are. We are children of God. Now, another very unhealthy and very unhelpful form of comparison It doesn't concern what we do, and it doesn't concern who we are, but it concerns what we receive, or more accurately, what we think we should be receiving, or what we think we're not receiving. I want to give you a typical example so I can explain what I'm saying here. So, let's assume you've been working for years for the same boss, and you've always given your very best now, the volume of work gets a bit too much for one person, and you kind of think to yourself, well, the firm's doing so well, of course, because I've been doing so well. I've been helping, and I've been giving my absolute all, and so now there's more business, and so now they need more people. And so your manager hires someone else to work alongside you. And of course, you have no problem with this at all. In fact, you're greatly relieved, because here is somebody who can share in, in your responsibilities and so on. And... And then you start noticing that the newbie, this person who's come in, talks a good talk but slacks off whenever the <laughs> boss isn't around and this kind of annoys you. But your annoyance escalates to anger, offense and demotivation, even emotional pain when you learn that this little missile mister lost in is earning more than you earn. Huh. Now, fortunately, the Lord Jesus had something to say about this sort of situation. In Matthew 20, verses 1 to 15, he records the parable of the landowner, who hires workers throughout the day. But he pays them all the same. The ones he hires at the beginning of the day work the whole day, and they get 100 rand or whatever it is. But others get employed, and some work a few hours, and right at the end, some work just one hour, and they all get paid the same. Now, the ones he hired first start to complain, and they go to the boss man, and they say, Look, this is is unfair. But the boss says this, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then he ended the parable with, so the last will be first and the first will be last. We can only trust that this principle will apply to the last in Nubian, by example. But you know what? Even if it doesn't, remember this. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 14, verses 12 and 13. Mm. You see, God is faithful and God is good. And it doesn't actually matter darn what somebody else is receiving. It matters who we are and how God sees us. So let me end with a rather fatuous homegrown proverb. It goes like this. He who compares himself to another is as unwise as another who compares himself to him. Mm. Yeah. Okay, hang on, don't stop listening, because my daughter Corinne's going to join us as usual, and she's going to root this kind of discussion right down to ground, I know. She kind of puts feet on the things I talk about. Hello, Corinne. Hello,
1: Daddy. So, judge not, lest ye be judged. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) We're talking about the Comparisons are Odious Truth Talk this week, and my very first um, thought about it was that I'm sure somewhere in the Bible it does say something about making, if not judgment, then sort of ascertaining others in the church and putting them up, you know, um, yeah, judging almost, but, but but not quite as harshly. Isn't there something about that?
0: Yes, okay. Um, yeah, of course there is. And the scripture talks about judging fellow Christians, by the way, and not non-Christians. Yeah. And it talks, in terms of the judgment, it is holding to account... So in other words, the Christian community is supposed to hold each other to account. Okay. So it's not like a condemnatory judgment thing. Okay. okay. It's a listen. Uh, we're all enlisted together, and you know what you're doing here is hurting the body. So let's talk about how we can correct that. So it's
1: sort of more out of concern, like a family.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. Okay. But it's, so it's holding to account. But there's also the other part of it is there's a difference between judging and comparing.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because, w- you know, what what is the difference and what, what should you compare and what shouldn't you compare and the same with judging?
0: Okay, so so judging is making a value judgment about a behavior, um, not a person. Okay. We're never called to, to judge each other in terms of uh, our value. Okay. But uh, as I said, in the Christian body, we are called to hold each other to account and make a, an evaluation of, of, of what we are doing, whether that's productive or non-productive. Mm. But comparing, as I said in the article, is, is not comparing worth, self-worth against self-worth. It's comparing features or aspects or things that are done. Mm. So i use the example of buying a car. So then we'd go out and we would compare the features of one car versus another okay and we'd use that data to make a decision as to which is going to be more beneficial for us so that's a comparison
1: so we can we can judge objects not people
0: yeah that. well it's no yeah we can still judge what people do yeah here, here here's the here's the real nub of the whole issue people do stuff and we often have to make evaluations of those things mm. and we have to we have to make judgment calls concerning what people do to us and do to others and whether they're slacking off or they're productive or they are but we we fall into a trap when we then try to make comparisons between ourselves as who we are and who they are mm. or we try and judge who they are that's where the the problem comes and I, for me, comparisons is all about comparing outputs, not comparing the actual nature of the person him, him or herself.
1: But if someone, say, constantly steals, then you know we would judge them. We would naturally judge them as a thief.
0: Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're thieving. It's an output. It's an action.
1: But isn't that it doesn't who mean they that are. they're
0: useless. It doesn't mean that they're worthless. Mm. You know, this redemptive um, judgment thing that we have in South Africa, this whole idea of punishment must be redemptive. You know, we must try and reform criminals, etc. It's based on that whole philosophy which says, of course we must judge what they do. And if a person um, beats up his wife, we have to punish him for that. But then we should be working with him because he's not worthless. Yeah. He in himself is a person with anger issues or a depraved childhood, a wrong father figure in his own home and so on.
1: I think it was that Einstein, one of the, the famous people that said, if you judge a fish by its ability to try climb trees, then you, you never it's always going to be found wanting, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one but yeah, it sounds quite cool or well, shall I say that sounds a bit fishy to me <laughs> and then
1: the other the next thing that um, really stuck out to me was mm. people you saying that it, it sort of irked you slightly when people said I really appreciate you know what you were saying what you were saying in a sermon or what you've done for the church or whatever and that for you it didn't feel like an affirmation. You know, it felt it. It felt rather like they're just saying, "Well, well done for what you're doing, not well done for who you are." Yeah. Um, whereas, I'm, I'm sure I've said to you, you know, that was a great word, thanks. You know.
0: Yes. No. Look, I'm not talking about um, affirmations are good for any people. Yeah. And uh, and we all like to be affirmed, and we are often affirmed in what we do. And so that's fine. But I'm talking about when somebody singles out what we do to the exclusion of who we are.
1: Yeah.
0: It's basically like a consumerist mentality for me. It says, you know, I value what you can do for me, but who you are is not important. Mm. Because I don't see us as people being the sum total of just the things we do, our outputs. Mm. You know, um, so I, I say i i'm not i'm not a I'm not just a product of of the things I do or don't do. I would rather regard myself as being a human being in God's likeness, a child of God who is trying to grow in in the fruit of the spirit in grace and in loving kindness and long suffering and that I would like to understand myself more in terms of that than that I can play guitar well. Or whatever
1: but is it. aren't aren't we supposed to um decide whether or not we are growing by the, the fruit that we produce.
0: Well, you see, I think that's a misnomer. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. Mm. And he was t- and he was referring negatively, by the way, to false prophets and false teachers. Okay. So, you know, a false teacher, for instance, can have a great following, following him. In fact, unfortunately false teachers often do. Mm. A lot of people following Mm. them, And false prophets could have a tremendous influence and say, look, you know, um, I had a million people watching my YouTube channel Mm. for that. That's not the fruit that Jesus was speaking about. He was saying, if you want to know whether a teacher is a true teacher, look at his life, Mm. not what he does. Mm. Look at who he is. How does he live his Mm. life? Is he Christ-like? Is he long-suffering? Is he filled with grace? Okay. Does, is truth the uh, the thing that guides his his words and his actions and his lifestyle? Yeah, that's fruit. Um, so for me, those are much more important than the things we do. Otherwise, we have this crazy worldly opinion where we have somebody who seems to achieve tremendously in one area, and we think he's a wonderful person. What nonsense! Mm-hmm. You know, we have a politician who leads a country, say he must be a wonderful person. He turns out to be a shyster. Yeah. Most of them do, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. We can also. A pop star. <laughs> we can also um, show, reveal only what we want to reveal about ourselves. Yeah. You know, on like sure. social media and that sort of thing, which will give people a whole wrong impression. And if you judge yes. yourself against them, then, then you're definitely going to have trouble, you know. Someone was saying to me they take photos of themselves in a travel agent and it looks like they're in Paris, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so the nub of what I was trying to say was, um, I, don't, I don't want to be evaluated and I don't believe we should be evaluating each other in terms of our outputs, the things we do. Yeah. We, should, we should rather be known and know ourselves as who we are, which is far more to do with the fruit of the Spirit than it is in achievements.
1: I was just going to say because the, the the fruit of the spirit surely comes. Uh, uh, it shows as who uh, as what we do as well as who we are.
0: No, it shows in how we do things. Okay. Oh. You know, you can have again. Uh, use the You can have somebody who has a fantastic oratory ability. Yeah. And if he uses his tongue to reap destruction, uh, puff himself up, um, place himself on a pedestal, and destroy competitors, yeah. that doesn't make him a, a good person or, you know, noteworthy, it just means that he is good at speaking. Mm. But if you use that same gift and talent to build others up, glorify God, etc., then it's the fruit in his life that would be showing through mm. the, the use of his gift.
1: So is, is it never a good thing to sort of judge yourself, evaluate yourself on yourself, um so in other words, let's um let's say that I was a pastor, then for me to go, Well, I've been spreading God's word, therefore I've been a good child of God isn't isn't that something beneficial? Do you know what I mean? No, if I, if uh,
0: actually I I actually don't think it is beneficial. I think from time to time we need honest self evaluation. Mm. When we look and say, you know am I being faithful to my calling? Have I been faithful to what the Lord has called me to do within his church or his kingdom i think I think that's fair mm. and we should be we should be judging in fact, the scripture says you know if you judge yourself in that way, then others won't judge you mm. because that's a self evaluation that, that's quite good mm. but but again it leads to a huge trap because then I'm going to go into this horrible comparison mode again. Mm. Okay, so if I if I thought evangelism was really important for me to be involved in, and I compared myself to Billy Graham, yeah. I'm going to be rather sad suck, <laughs> aren't I?
1: Yeah, I see what you mean.
0: So, so self-evaluation really isn't against, a, we can use others as a benchmark, and in fact because Jesus Christ is our ultimate yeah. benchmark. But nobody is foolish enough to think that we're going to aspire to be exactly like him in this world. No,
1: I mean, if we judge ourselves against Jesus, we're going to be found so wanting always.
0: Pre- precisely, and the <laughs> same applies all the way down that down the scale. So, I, I go back to the issue: comparisons are odious yeah. when w- w- when we are trying to get a grip on who we are.
1: Yeah. Now that you spoke about that that proverb, and I remember reading it. I don't know, for the first or second time or whatever. And, you know, thinking, wow, but that is unfair. And, uh, this Are you talking about
0: Jesus and the people in uh, his workmen in the field? Yes. And this okay. was
1: obviously before I read the, um, your post, which helped make a lot of sense out of it. But it does feel unfair. And it, it feels, you know, part of me still inside goes, oh, it's like, you know, someone who that lives a completely hedonistic life being on their deathbed and suddenly going, Oh, sorry, Jesus and, you know, now he, he goes to heaven and he's the same sort of level as everyone, whereas he's had a, a total jaw and there's, you know, the other Mother Teresas in the world that have strived their whole life and, and been faithful till the end <coughs> and then the same you know, they they I suppose judged the same way.
0: Okay, well, you know there's a couple of couple of problems in that statement first first of all, God is the final arbitrator of what we do and who we are, mm. and again, the scripture says you know that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we've done in the body yeah so there's nobody who escapes that, yeah. So we don't really have to worry about the guy who um, lives this debauched life, and then he gets cancer, and in the last day of his life, he suddenly says, okay, Lord, I'll accept you as Savior. Well, you know, he'll still have to face God's evaluation of him. Mm. The second issue is that if the purpose of our lives, as I believe it is, is to come to know Jesus and to be like him and to help others, and that person actually in the last day of his life really genuinely has a real encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and is spiritually renewed, then that at least that first part of his task on earth has been fulfilled. Mm. Why would we then worry that um, you know, he now goes to heaven like anybody else? I think the better response is praise God, is another person in heaven.
1: I know that, that that is the the right response. It's just that you know being a Christian is sometimes a really hard thing I mean I know now I must be very careful about what I pray for um, you know if, if, for example if I ask God to help me be more patient
0: then <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, please give me patience and give to me now <laughs>
1: then he gives me lots of opportunities to practice it exactly you know, which is it means that being a Christian is a hard thing you know it's much easier to go along with the the herd. And the herd, in this case, is pretty debauched as a whole. And you know, so I think yeah, that's why, why it sort of slightly annoys me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know, Corin, again, the, we don't know uh, much about heaven, do we? No. And we've got these little glimpses through the Scripture, and that's about yeah. it. But those little glimpses reveal something quite important, and that it it, it seems to be, that in the eternal realm, in the heavenly realm, there is a difference in utility, functionality. Mm. Because Jesus spoke about rewards. He spoke about if you are faithful in things of the earth, then you can be made responsible for greater things later on. Mm. So to use that example of that debauched guy who accepts Jesus genuinely, mm. let's say, as his savior in his last day. Well, so he gets to... Uh, to be with him in heaven, but he has a different functionality to Mother Teresa. Mm.
1: But who so wants responsibility in heaven <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that Yeah,
0: yeah. But I th- you know, I think we we have so little concept of what it's going to be yeah. like, and that Earth is such a pale reflection of the true reality, oh. which is heaven. Yeah, that it, it. You know, we'll be so filled with joy, mm. and we'll be so pleased to be in the near presence of God and will be so eager to actually, you know, serve Him mm. that uh, I don't think those kind of thoughts will, no. will dominate. No, I don't I think God's going
1: to go, well done, good and faithful servant, now you're responsible to keep all these people in line.
0: Yeah, well, well done, I'm going to really make your life more really difficult, <laughs> or your death yeah. rather. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: okay, I wanted to speak about, now I've so we're not we don't mustn't judge ourselves on others. We mustn't judge ourselves on an ourselves sort of thing. We must judge ourselves on being a child of God, someone who is loved by God. So in right. other words, unconditionally. Right. Uh, well, that's that's my opinion of sort of ultimate ultimate love. Okay. Now there's so many people I know that have that don't have a yardstick for what that even is. Um, you know, obviously, uh, people that have had children seem to have a grasp of it because they love their children unconditionally. People that haven't have sometimes had terrible childhoods, and if we go, well, God the Father, then they think, well, my father here on earth was an an addicted, beta upper.
0: Yeah, it know? is a it is a problem. Yeah.
1: So how uh, how do you How do we change that mindset? How do we, first of all, let help other people understand and and then secondly, help ourselves understand? I mean, I know that your father wasn't particularly affectionate, for example. (laughs) True. (laughs) You know, so how do you get to, well, I'm a child of God who loves me and who wants to hug me and cuddle me when my dad kept me at arm's length?
0: Okay, so... What you're saying is absolutely true. It's one of the big problems we have. We have such a dysfunctional society. The world is so full of sin, mm. so disfigured, mm. so far from the image of God that we were created in. Mm. So we have, uh, using the example of fathers, we have fathers who are abusive or absent, mm. and they deeply scar their children, mm. and the children do grow up. And you have this horrible syndrome, by the way, of a child who is, is wrongly treated Early in life ends up by repeating yeah. that when he becomes a father
1: well, that 's all they know
0: yeah, and, and it gets passed on through the generations that way so that's really tragic, mm. so the first step I think is to acknowledge that this is true yeah. so when we're talking uh, when we 're looking at our own our own lives and when we are trying to help other folk, I think we should be asking the question, is this person scarred in this area mm. do they have do they have this really skewed concept of who God is mm. and if the answer is yeah I think they do then step one is to is to help that person and sometimes ourselves realize that this is an erroneous thought mm. it's uh, it's wrong thinking mm. that God is not a reflection of the worst of humanity <laughs> you know God is good mm. and God is the Epitome of what a, a good father is, mm. and that if you had a bad father, we'll recognize that you had a bad father, but you know, he was not godly, mm. he was not godlike, mm. a, a, and, and that it's a, a real error to try and lay that on God to transfer th- that wrong, terrible negative onto the one who actually is ultimately good. But so
1: it does seem to be a common phenomenon, like if dad skips town when you're young then, oh, well, of course God, you know, he abandoned me in my time of need.
0: Yeah, of course it is. That's why the first step is to acknowledge. To acknowledge that it's a problem and to acknowledge that it's a wrong way of thinking. Mm. The second thing is to replace that wrong way of thinking with the truth. So if I encounter folk who are, are really suffering from that in their lives, then I would normally say to them, look here... Hear all the scriptures about God. Read them over and over and over again. Look to see who He actually is. God is good. He's loving and kind. His mercy knows no end. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Mm. All good things come from our Heavenly Father, the Father of lights, Mm. and so on. And so, step one, acknowledge. Step two, overwrite the program. You know, our minds are are like computer programs Mm. and, and sometimes we need to put a, a new program in to wipe out the old. Yeah, how? And then the third one is to, well, well you do by putting the new one in over and over again. Okay. You see, there's actually, this is actually a really important concept. You can't deal with the negative by focusing on the negative. Mm. You know, let's take um, a substance. Let's take smoking, okay. for instance. Just try, uh, because I have, yeah. just try and give up smoking by saying it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's nasty, I will not smoke, I will not smoke. It yeah. doesn't work because yeah. all you're doing is you're reinforcing, you're overlaying that same old negative program yeah. with the same thing again. So the way to, to to handle that kind of thing is you put into its place a whole lot of other stuff. Instead of this, I'm doing that. Instead of this, I'm thinking that. Uh, instead of this, I'm enjoying this. And um, and you think on these good things constantly. Mm. And over time, the new program overlays the old.
1: So how? So give me an example. If now I'm trying to stop smoking, I've got to go. All well, celery's lovely. I love celery. I'm having celery <laughs> instead of a cigarette. Damn thing won't stay alight. But anyway.
0: No, look. We're wandering a little off track, but in this particular (laughs) in this particular case, you'd say, I I've resolved that I'm not going to smoke celery (laughs) anymore. (laughs) <laughs> and you'd throw your lighter away and you'd throw your, your cigarettes away and you'd make a resolution.
1: And you'd go, I'm looking for health and
0: whatever. Well, that, that's fine. But now now you would put in a whole bunch of substitute activities. Okay. You would, you'd start to substitute good activities. Yeah. You would focus on the the good resu- influences. Gosh, you know, I'm not having to spend this much money. I've actually got another thousand rand a month yeah. over on this. Oh, gosh, I don't smell like an ashtray yeah. anymore. Uh, this is good, I, I'm starting to, you know, once I'm over my three-day grumpiness, yeah. I'm actually starting to feel better. I can and, um, breathe. I can breathe at last, <laughs> and and so on. And so those positive programs, reinforced over time, start to overlay the, the negatives that are there. But that's a s- slightly off track.
1: Well, yeah, it, it's slightly off track, but not really, because, you know, you sort of end by saying... You know, don't don't even compare yourself to yourself. If I'm correct in saying, and I've often thought that you know I am my own worst enemy. So uh, the reason why I say it's not completely off topic is that how do you stop yourself from comparing yourself to other people or even yourself or your own high standards? You know, I always find myself um, lacking in every standard I set for myself.
0: Yeah, look, again, it, uh, I said a bit earlier, uh, uh, honest self-evaluation is a good thing mm. from time to time. Yeah. You know, if we do it too much, we we like Buddhist monks gazing at our navels yeah. every day. So, you know, we, th- that's not a good thing. Yeah. But from time to time, we have to evaluate stuff, and we have to say, I'm not going to make a judgment call about who I am. I'm... I'm I'm me, mm. I'm made in God's image, I'm I'm loved, mm. I'm valuable, I'm worth something. But you know, I do realize that there's some things that I'm problematic in. Mm. So for instance, I'm a perfectionist, mm. and actually I've come to realize that that's just an expression of pride. Mm. So if I realize what it is, okay, I need to look at that in a new light. <laughs> uh, instead of seeing it as a virtue, I actually need to start seeing it as something that... Um, I need to moderate on, mm. and and so that kind of self-evaluation—it's only really a good thing. But you're not judging yourself. You're not kind of running this um, dialogue in your head, which is saying, you know, you useless, wormy, idiotic piece of rubbish. Yeah, but that you're saying you're saying, listen, there's some stuff I want to moderate in my life, and that's a good thing.
1: But that that's, that does sometimes boil down to you calling yourself a, a, a rubbish because. You know, for example, if I wake up and I go, okay, today, all I'm going to do is not skinner about anyone. And then at the end of the night, you've had a terrible day. You've just, your mouth has rattled off, out of control. And you yep. go, oh my, look at what I've done. I'm a bad
0: person. Okay. So now, then, this is a good place to end this chat, by the way, because mm. I see we're up to 25 yeah. and a half minutes. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a post in about a month's time. Okay called The Redemptive Power of Failure. Okay. And that's going to be all about how we can take where we do blow it and how we can actually utilize that to become more Christ-like.
1: I'm looking forward to that.
0: And that would then provide the answer. So uh, let's end with that little advert for (laughs) (laughs) for about a month from now. Perfect. Watch this space. Keep (laughs) tuned and all that stuff. Excellent. Okay, everybody.
1: Thanks, everyone.
0: Bye now. Bye, sweetheart. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, Truth Talks.